this weekday episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a program made by Kansas City fans for Kansas City fans. My name's Kyle, and along with my good friends and colleagues who are still named Reese and Armando, we'll be taking a trip to one Royal Way and diving into what's going on at Kauffman Stadium. For those of you keeping track at home, but this is our 11th episode, at least our 11th episode of real life follow us on patreon if you want the prehistory of fountain city sports media and um, we're grateful for those of y'all who've been with us since the beginning and if you're new to us welcome aboard what what do they call me on the podcast kyle Mm, he of the nationally branded opinions wrong hot take mondo if you recall hot take mondo didn't have to make a hot take to beat kyle in a bet so we just did our bubble playoff predictions, I don't remember, a couple weeks ago. And as everyone knows, I'm a pretty big Lakers fan, uh, but the Lakers you know, weren't, weren't doing so well, right? Lakers. The segment is literally called Small Market Bias. All right, great. How can you be a Lakers fan? Great. So anyway, that's, so... That's because Arcadia, Arcadia is still a small market, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after game one of the Lakers-Blazers series... Kyle, I don't know how many beers Kyle had or what he was on or who knows, but but Kyle comes out and says, I want to bet you a hundred bucks that the Blazers are going to win the series against the Lakers. And I was like, Kyle, I don't want to take your money. Why don't why don't we do just like a fair bet? Because again, it's not a hot take for the Lakers to beat the Blazers. This was like warm Lipton tea take for me to bet on the Lakers. So so we decided to come up with that Kyle had to drink for every game of the NBA playoff, not our lovely Freem IPAs, not our Weldworks IPAs, not a lovely Sierra Nevada or, or a bourbon barrel quad, but Kyle has to drink Miller Lite Tallboys for the rest of the NBA playoffs, which is not a bad bet for Kyle because Kyle loves that stuff anyway and today is a playoff game so kyle has a lovely miller light tall boy while i sip on my gin and tonic with the botanist gin which is such a lovely gin and just shows the the uh the majesty of my bets and the unmajesticness of kyle's bets well three things first of all it says a lot about your actual confidence after that game one loss that you were unwilling to put your own money on the line for your Lakers. That says a lot. I was worried about you. You're one of my best friends. I don't want to take your money. This is the only time that I've ever heard you talk about our friendship in such a positive light, but I'll take it. <laughs> Number two, as you said, it's never really it's it's never really a hard thing for me to drink some champagne and beers. You know, I've been known to consume some in my time. And number three, yeah, emphasis on pain. A great way that I can circumvent this rule if during the playoffs I'm getting sick of Miller High Life is because I led a summer filled with uh, you know hydration and LaCroix uh, I still have so many LaCroix you guys so you know I could always kick back with a pamplemousse or a peach pear or a tangerine probably tastes better warm than the High Life does ouch definitely doesn't taste better than this gin and tonic right here mm. shout out to friend of the podcast Miller High Life Okay, that's all I have to say. Kyle, you can transition out. Well, all of that was lies, and your fandom is built on a throne of dishonesty. So how about that? It's built on a throne of my birth certificate because I was born in L.A. Also, 
you just can't hurt me because OKC went to OKC's going to game seven tomorrow. And as of right now, I can't be hurt. So this high life is for you, buddy. Cheers. Great. Enjoy the Millers tomorrow during the game. And go Thunder, because we'd rather play you guys than the Rockets. CP3. Is that a knife? I've had, yeah, I, I carry a knife now. It's a thing. You shouldn't carry a knife after drinking seven tall boys. It's become really helpful in my life as a homeowner, daddy. Oh, okay, that's fair. That's fair. The other night I got pretty drunk at my friend Trevor's place and a beer cracked open in the cooler and and I could hear it hissing and I was trying to air out the cooler overnight and I had the can and it was kind of like lumpy because the the pressure had gone down. I was like, how am I ever going to like get this out? So what would you guys have done in that situation? Pressure in the cooler? Wait, no, what's the- I... A can of beer uh-huh. was not open, but it was clearly leaking. Okay. So what would you have done to pour that beer out? Did you stab it and pour it out? I sure did, because I forgot oh, that because I forgot that you could open the tab. Uh. But in the moment, I was like, "Daddy's ready." That's some that's some shotgunning right there. I tell you what. So I put the beer on a cinder block and started to stab it so I could pour it out. And Dana was watching me, and she was like, "This is the most Kyle shit I've ever seen you do." Wait, so you started to stab it, as and you stabbed it multiple times? Yeah. What? You're wasting so much good beer. No, it was already leaking. It had been leaking the whole afternoon. It was like all gross. And oh, you weren't gonna drink it. No. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. All right, guys. Well, it's time to dig in because, as you may remember, earlier on in the season, our views of the Royals ranged from atrocious to rosy. And uh, I'd say we're somewhere in the middle. We're 13 and 21 at the trade deadline. And I got to say, well, we can go around the horn with this, but it feels like our record should be a little better than that. Uh, We've had some bad games. And we've had some inconsistent play, but overall, I feel like this team should be about a 500 team. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but I know at least there's four games we've lost by one run, and it's like you're telling me we're not going to win, you know, any of those four. And to be honest, it's it's probably more than that. There's just four that I can remember like turning off in the ninth inning, saying, "Well, it's over." But you know, is this team on paper in this weird abridged 60 game season probably closer to a 500 team? I think so. Am I disappointed that we are, for all intents and purposes, barring some sort of miracle out of the playoff race? Absolutely. I'm going to disagree with you guys. I think the record speaks for itself. I know that there's been close games, um, and I know our pitching has been very good, but like I said in the past, we wanted our hitting to be something spectacular and just hope for kind of an average, you know, pitching rotation. Uh, but we're getting really good pitching now, but the bats just aren't really coming alive. Some of them are. I mean, we're having some breakout people like McBroom, like Mikel Franco. Like, that's all good and great, but I'm still going to, like, keep chiming in on Elbero Mondesi. Where are you, dude? Where are you? Bubba Starling. Where are you, dude? All these people that we thought that we were going to have this, like, power horse offense is not really coming to fruition. Um, So I think we are where we are. I would say let's phone it in for the rest of the season, just like I did on the first Royals podcast. 
I want to see all of our prospects play, right? We just got some prospects. I would love to see them play. I've already talked about some other ones. Let's start putting these guys in. Let's start looking towards the future. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that one. It's like, if you would have told me that we missed the playoffs or we're having a bad season because of our pitching, I would have believed you. If you would have told us that our pitching was going to be pretty decent and our bullpen pretty good and our hitting was the thing that was going to be keeping us away from a playoff spot, I don't think I would have believed you, but here we are. You know, it's it's like six through nine in the lineup is a black hole every time. I see people come up and I'm like, well, this is, this is an automatic, you know, three outs. Let's just wait until we can get to the next inning when we have our, you know, top of the order batting again and just hope for the best. Let me flip it on you guys one more way and say that actually we may have some recency bias in the fact that our pitching has been pretty good with everybody healthy. Um, but we lost some key games early on because of a bullpen rotation where we had to start basically anybody who could stretch out. You know, Matt Harvey has not been particularly good at all uh, after trying to triage the rotation by signing him. Overall, the guys who should be good when they're healthy have been good, which is great between Duffy and Keller and Junis. You know, we've even seen some decent innings from Kennedy early on and then kind of a dip in the middle. And then he's been a little better lately, too. Uh, obviously, our two young guys, Bubich and Singer, have been great to see. But back to my point, I think that in this shortened season, because we started off so understaffed on the pitching side, paired with probably a like 20% subpar offensive performance, I really don't think we could expect much more from... Because, I mean, if you think about it, like who should be our star hitters, right? It should be Merrifield, Soler, Perez. Those should be our stars. If you think back, Modesty. we've gotten some... Well, yeah, you're right. Modesty. Modesty's been the no-show. I'll give you that. Modesty's been a big question mark. Don't know what's going on there. But if you think back, like we've had... We had a great run with Franco delivering in there. You mentioned Ryan McBroom, Armando. He had a couple like weirdly clutch home runs in the late innings of a couple games. So, I mean, maybe I'm arguing against myself here, but I think all of those line up to be about a 500 team. It's it, it's it's a pretty good offense with some of the more kind of position guys really coming to play. Pitching's been pretty decent. I don't know. I just wish we had a better record than 13 and 21. Yeah, I, I guess I'll, I'll just chime in really quick. I agree with you, Kyle. Like, I'm pretty excited for the future, and I think that Royals management sees the light at the tunnel at the end of the tunnel with our pitching and with our hitting. Um, so we should technically be better like than 500 or at 500, but we haven't shown it consistently. Like it's been a lot of up and downs and, and, and we've talked about that before where like we, we will win a series against a very good team and then we'll lose a series against a, not a very good team. And we've already seen that in the past couple of weeks. I mean, against the white Sox, we, we had a couple of, we had a game against the white Sox that was very good, but it's just, it's kind of our MO right now. So I would rather us, like I said, in the first podcast, I would rather us have like a legitimate identity than just keep being wishy-washy, wishy-washy. And then all of a sudden we're at 13 and 21. And like, what's the point? Nice. Uh, well, so let's uh, let's talk numbers real quick. We're six and a half games out of the wild card, eight games out of the division, and three and a half out of second to last in the division. What does that mean, Reese? <laughs> means we suck. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's how, that's how big the gap are. That's how big the gap is, dude. That like between us and like second to last, you know, like fourth place so in the division. We're six and a half games out of the wild card. Remember, we're in an expanded playoffs where the top two teams in each division make the playoffs, and so the wild card is sort of for seven and eight this season. Uh, and we're eight games behind Chicago for lead of the AL Central and 
as Reese mentioned earlier, three and a half games behind Detroit, who's the closest to the bottom. Detroit's playing 500 ball, which we wouldn't have necessarily expected given their start. But I guess the real question is, do we have a chance for the playoffs? And possibly a bigger question is whether we can expect some of these teams toward the top to regress. Uh, Because we've got you know, for example, we've got the Rays at 25 and 12. Um, well, I don't see any of these top teams regressing because as far as I seem, we've already been granted, you know, a gift in the fact that the Minnesota Twins are third in the division. You know, I think Cleveland's punching above their weight. The White Sox seem to have finally put all those young prospects that they fully committed to their rebuild for to good use. And now they're reaping the benefits of that. Man, I I don't see where we're supposed to get any breaks there. You know, if that's the case and Detroit's playing 500 ball and punching above their weight, what we're saying is we got four decent teams in our division looking up, and that's half the playoff spots right there. I also want to go back to what Armando said, and I think we have, for better or for worse, because we've basically thrown in the towel from a management standpoint towards making a playoff push this season, we're going to get what you wanted, which is seeing a lot of the prospects play. And we can see that from the trades we made. Yeah, just to jump in there, Kyle, I, I agree with you. If if they thought that they had a chance for the season, I think they wouldn't have tried to make a fire sell for all the guys they had. They they still tried to get rid of Greg Holland. They, they tried to get rid of Ian Kennedy. So it wasn't like they were trying to acquire veteran talent to then bring this team to be the wild card they were always looking for prospects and in a in a way i'm okay with that as as a royals fan because i'm more excited about the future than i am for trying to scrap for a wild card spot because of the talent that i actually think is pretty good which we'll talk about soon um I think that it's more beneficial for us than to play those guys than for the Royals to just, oh, let, let's get Paul LaDuca. Let's get, I just threw that name out. I, I, Paul LaDuca, if you're out there, come on the podcast because we don't know what you're doing anymore. Um. Is it possible that, that you just had a weird PTSD flashback to the Lucas Duda signing? Oh my gosh, I was wondering the same thing actually. Wait, which time? I actually think Paul <laughs> Paul Duca went to my high school. I think that's why it was in my brain. Paul Duca Doncic. <laughs> Watch, it, it's going to turn out that Paul Duca is like a serial killer. Oh, you play for the Dodgers. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Sorry, Paul Duca. Anyway, to wrap up what I was saying, I'm excited for the future, and I think the Royals are as well. Yeah, I mean, possibly he was a serial killer of LA fans' hopes and dreams. <laughs> Nothing. Okay, crickets, fine. All right, welcome back. We're about to do a beer review. Just Reese and I, though, I think Kyle's preoccupied with his tall boy that he's too embarrassed to uh, to review. Although, do you want to tell us a little bit about it, Kyle? You want to just give I us mean, the, the, uh, the, the, the smell, at least? I could review it if you really wanted me to, but... That doesn't sound super fun to me, but you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice my uh, I'm willing to sacrifice my priority system for the sake of our uh, sake of our listeners. I would do that for you, Fountain City Sports Media listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, as as Armando is uh, referencing, after Portland went up one nothing on the Lakers. Oh, don't worry, don't worry, Kylie. This we've we've already talked about it in the beginning of the pod. Don't worry. Oh. All right, so Kyle, so Kyle's not going to be reviewing his tall boy. Um, 
because if he did, that means that we would have to charge extra on Patreon. By the way, make sure you subscribe on Patreon once we're up there, because you're going to get some great content, because not only uh, is Kyle drinking uh, Miller High Life right now, but he's also drank some stuff in the past that was really fun to review. So stay tuned once we get that Patreon open, you're going to get some great beer. Speaking about great beer. It's pretty tall. All right, so tallness, we have a 9.5. Speaking about beer, Reese, I'm going to throw this one to you. Why don't you start the beer review for us? All right, this one's fun. I've been meaning to review this beer for quite a long time, but I wasn't able to get my hands on it because it was kind of a limited run, and then the limited run met the craziness of COVID. But it is back in our hands, and now for the very first time on this podcast, I have reviewed its brother, Please welcome the Boulevard Unfiltered Grapefruit Wheat. Whoa! When did when did you guys get that? Uh, man, okay, so as time is just a falsified concept during the COVID period, I can remember when I was working on the canning line back in March, it was. That's when we were putting these bad boys into mix packs, so it'd be kind of like three kiwi wheat, three grapefruit wheat, and then six unfiltered wheat, pack 12, ship it out. Those went like hotcakes, and kind of the only times I got to try it were like when we had the, you know, the reject cans that we got to crack one open, you know, and, and give them a go. I think they're pretty good. I have reviewed the kiwi wheat before, as the Patreon subscribers of this podcast, I'm sure, will know, but... This one, I had it once before, and I thought I would like to give that another go on the podcast. So, without further ado. <laughs> All right, so Armando, what's the first thing on the list? All right, aroma. Tall. Wow, this is extremely grapefruity. And I don't mean that in the sense of like, oh, well, duh, it is. But I mean, this legit smells like a ruby red grapefruit. Grapefruit ahead. Uh, yeah, I sure hope there is. What was that? <laughs> that's uh, what, what is that referencing? That that's a reference for our for our Vine crowd. Were you guys not part of Vine? Vine hasn't been a thing since like 2014. Yes, but it's in the zeitgeist. Reese, get a life. No, t- okay. Yes. TikTok has come and gone since Vine has come and gone. Are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. Okay, Vine was a thing for like four months, and yes, I was on Vine, but for you to go, hey, did you guys listen to Vine or watch Vine, and then like also have like subcategories of Vine that we're supposed to know is absurd. You guys. Vine was never that popular. (laughs) I'm sorry to say, you guys are totally in the wrong here because there are like huge like compilations of people on TikTok recreating Vines. There's like videos on YouTube of Vine compilations with like hundreds of millions of views. There, there'll be people who listen to this pod that who like get that. But all right, aroma. Yeah, it, it smells like grapefruit. Uh, it, a little bit of sweetness on there, but not enough that I'm like, this smells like pure artificial grapefruit nonsense. I mean, it smells like cracking open a ruby red grapefruit. So, man, just for that, for aroma, I'm giving that a nine point five. That is delish smell. I, I love grapefruit. That's the preface. Uh, grapefruit friend of the podcast. I'm huge on it. Coming out swinging. All right. Number two, appearance. Appearance? This is much hazier than the unfiltered wheat. Uh, The unfiltered wheat you can still kind of see through. You know, it's like three-fourths completely hazy. Opaqueness. 
this one is absolutely 100% hazy opaqueness. Like, I have seen hazy IPAs that, you know, would blush at looking at this thing. It's, it's multicolored shades of, like, a tan orange, geez, almost like a pulped orange juice looking thing without the pulp, mind you. But it's, it's very attractive. It came out with about an inch ahead. The head has since dissipated down in the last 90 minutes, or sorry, 90 seconds. Uh, so appearance on this, I'm going to give it an 8.2 on appearance. Solid. Yeah, I think Boulevard was one of the first hazy wheats that I had, and you guys definitely kill the game in every hazy wheat. Um, and there, honestly, there's actually not a lot of people doing hazy wheats. Um, it's still kind of a, a hipster thing right now. Oh, yeah, dude. Hazy wheats are like ironically old school now. That's crazy. I feel All like right, just hazy uh, beers in general are, are, are super in right now. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, Paging yeah. Weldworks. <laughs> I know, right? Everything. Hey, but uh, ironically, are like Pilsner is super clear. The half is kind of clear, too. But yeah, the IPAs are like mud. Uh, flavor. Man, this is pretty fun. It almost tastes like... It tastes like an unfiltered wheat grapefruit juice mimosa. I love it. Ooh. It's incredible. I mean, this is, this is, boys, I think a first official, this is dangerously crushable. Somebody put <laughs> this man in marketing. Let's go. Oh, this is, uh, what's the percentage? It's only 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, oh. man, that's a grapefruit unfiltered wheat mimosa in a can right there. Precious six that's, back uh, in the morning. Mm, you know, it's so wheaty and so truly citrusy. That it is, I would almost categorize this as a Rattler. This is the equivalent of the lazy baritone that's singing down at a bass baritone rep. And it's like, we all know what you are. It's like, no, man, I'm a, I'm a, a, a wheat beer. I just sing this low rep. It's like, no, you're super lazy. Get out of my fuck. Three sips into his beer and real Reese comes out. <laughs> and I'm fighting. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is this is the real Reese we've been waiting for 11 episodes in. <laughs> because of this just party in a can, I'm going to give this... I, I'm so excited about this flavor. I'm not going to lie, guys. This is so up my alley. I love a good Rattler. I feel bad saying this because it's such a basic beer compared to other things. For me, I have to give the flavor on this a 9.5. <laughs> well, dude, you're, you're just coming out here like, like it's Tank 7. I, I know, right? It's just this is like all my dopamine receptors are firing right now. It's incredible. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Uh, mouthfeel. Mouthfeel. This is the fun part. I'm getting a lot of uh, tangy citrus notes on the side of the tongue, you know, giving you that, uh, I don't want to say puckerness because it's not sour, but like eating a citrus fruit, like eating a grapefruit. That is just like the theme of today's story. It's lighter in the mouth. It's not as heavy as the regular unfiltered weed is, probably because it's cut, probably because this is a Rattler in disguise. Uh, I do get a little bit of sugar sweetness, not too much so to make this a gimmicky beer. Do you guys remember circa 2013, 14, 15, when like everybody and their grandma was trying to put out Rattlers and Shandies, and you just got some like seriously repug sweet Garbaggio beers? Yes. All you gotta do is just crank out a mediocre beer and then slap some primary colors on a cheap cardboard box and you got yourself a profit. Let's go. Whoa. Was that off the cuff? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Kyle's amazing. Kyle's shooting. Uh, this beer Kyle, is you're not so that, amazing. but, you know, 
Uh, so so for mouthfeel on this, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it an a seven point nine. It's not bad. It's just you know this is the one thing where it comes back down to earth in regards to what it is, which is a basic beer. Grapefruit beer, Radler in disguise. Oh my gosh! Yes, please. Aftertaste. Man, that grapefruit comes to party and it stays. Let me tell you what. That is the best part about this beer. I mean, th- this is one of the most authentically fruit-tasting beers that I can remember having. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it tastes like it tastes like grapefruit juice and unfiltered wheat in a mimosa. It, it, it's fantastic. I want to be like throwing this off a building, just giving it to people. Uh, aftertaste, I'm giving it nine point three. A very glowing review. All right, and last but not least, the big drama queen, BDQ. Oh man, if you need if you need a definition of a BDQ, oh, I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make you all wait. This is a nine nine on BDQ. The perfect ten on BDQ will come when it comes, but I can't give it this early in the game. Otherwise, you have nothing to shoot for. Like like I've said a thousand times already in this beer review, this is a beer mosa in a can. It's not too heavy. It's not too sweet. It's incredibly crushable, and it's. I mean, I I could drink so many of these and just like you know, have a glass of water in between each one and feel great. It's not as heavy as the unfiltered wheat is, which kind of keeps you from drinking a bunch of wheats. I mean, I could easily put away four or more of these, you know, before I had any regret. All right, party. That is probably the most, um, that's probably the highest rated beer in Fountain City Sports Media history. I think it probably is, yeah. It's like when Consumer Report's like, yo, here's our here's our 2020 car of the year. It's the Honda Accord. And everyone's like, what? Why not the, you know, why not the Ford GT? Why not the, uh, you know, Acura NSX? Why not these other sports cars? Like, because this thing's super basic, and it's super fantastic at being super basic. It's the best in show. Reese, I really want to catch you on a day when you're in a bad mood and have you review, the, review this beer again. <laughs> Thank you, Reese, for an incredible review. Now I'm going to review a Freem IPA. Freem Brewery is in Portland, Oregon, and Freem is spelled P-F-R-I-E-M. That's cool. I found out about Freem because they won, in 2018, uh, Great American Beer Festival Mid-Size Brewery um, Company of the Year. So then my brother lives in Portland, so I told my brother to send me their beer, so he sent me some IPAs. Uh, and this is a pretty good freaking beer, so I'm excited to review it. I will preface it, though, that I just had, like, Korean ramen and a gin and tonic. So my tongue is just, like, coated with that. So I have no idea what this IPA is going to taste like. <laughs> Dude, MSG enhances the flavor. Well, we're, we're about to find out. All right. So aroma on this guy. Not too bad. I got a lot of piney flavor. So this is an IPA. It's a West Coast, um, not a hazy. I know, shocker. I've just a regular West Coast for me this time. So within the regular West Coast, you get a lot of pine, a lot of citrus. You can kind of smell the malt as well in here. Um, and some tropical fruit as well, actually. Maybe like a pineapple. Pretty good. Definitely what I would want in just a standard West Coast IPA. I'm going to give it an 8.5. Okay, appearance. Yeah, this one, if you didn't 
Hmm, well, okay, when you put it to light, it kind of looks like a lighter beer, like a wheat beer, but then when you step out of the light, it definitely looks darker. I don't know if you guys can see it from your angle. It looks darker from the camera, but like where I'm at, like this is looking like a bright yellow to me. Incredibly clear. Great job on that. Head retention is great. I mean, you guys can see the head retention there. Like, like I poured this a minute ago and it's still just like, oh yeah, that head retention is excellent. Um, so head retention, the clearness of it, um, the little brighter yellow as opposed to darker yellow on my end. I'm going to give that an 8.3. Okay, flavor. Noah really changed the game with our decimal system, didn't he? Dude, do we have to call it the Noah decimal system? Do we have to call it the Noah decimal system? Nice. Oh. Hey, there he is. That's what we've been waiting for. Also, we've mentioned Noah on every podcast since he was on the pod. <laughs> okay, um, so flavor. This, this tastes like Korean ramen. Um, that was a joke. Okay. Um, no, it actually, it's actually very good. It's it's very piney, just like the smell, very citrusy. Even some like grapefruit in there as well. You get a lot of bitterness. Um, tastes pretty good to me. So this one is made of mosaic, citra, and chinook hop. I think that's how you pronounce it. Is that right, right, Reese? Because double O. So chinook. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would ass- I would assume that the chinook would then give it that that piney flavor because mosaic and citra will round it out with the citrus. Um, but yeah, I'm getting all of it. It's a, it's a great profile. Uh, a very good standard West coast IPA. I'm going to give it a 8.9, but definitely not up there with the grapefruit. Sorry. Sorry, Freem. It's, it, it is no grapefruit filtered wheat. All right. Mouthfield. Yeah. Pretty heavy on the mouth. Um, very bitter on the mouthfeel, almost like the citrus and the grapefruit kind of go away. It's, it's incredibly dank, um, which is cool. Not my favorite. I like a little smoother IPA. Uh, could be the gym, the gin leftover on my tongue as well. So who knows? Let's give this guy an eight point two. Aftertaste. That's great. Very smooth. A little bit of dankness still, um, at on the aftertaste, but you get a lot of the bitterness on the tongue as opposed to, on the finish. Which is great. That that's definitely what I want in a beer. I don't I don't want to taste too much bitterness when it's going down. Um, so solid, a solid West Coast IPA, straight up nine for aftertaste. Right on. BD, BDQ. Um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll keep riding this wave. It, it is a traditional West Coast IPA. There there really isn't anything that is particularly special about it that can like differentiate it from like Odell IPA. Or like a Sierra Nevada, like a, a very nice Sierra Nevada IPA. Not to say that it is awful. Like, it can definitely play with the big West Coast IPA boys. Um, but it doesn't stand out for me. Um, so I'm just going to give it a solid 8 because it, it it does do the IPA category justice. It's just not like a like a grapefruit unfiltered. But good job, Freem. You are definitely friends of the podcast now. Uh, Andrew, if you're listening, send some more beer. I want to try the Pilsner, <laughs> Andrew, so send the Pilsner. He doesn't have texting. Only communicates through podcasts. <laughs> Only through podcasts. <laughs> All right, so these trades we made just before the deadline traded Brett Phillips to the race for infielder Lucius Fox. Of course, um, I really wish I was on Twitter because I wanted to make 
I wanted to like tweet a gif of like Lucius Fox from Batman, like standing in front of all of those screens at the end of Batman Begins or whichever movie that he's controlling the screens. And Morgan Freeman is like seeing him move through the city. And so I don't know. I'm sure um, Mr. Fox probably gets uh, gets mentions like that all the time. But I don't know. Anyway, excited for that. And uh, we traded Trevor Rosenthal to the Padres. For outfielder Edward Olivares and a prospect to be named later. Um, for me, I- I'm okay with these moves. I think both Phillips and Rosenthal, I had maybe kind of a, you know, like a diehard fan's affinity for in that I enjoyed watching them play. I was kind of frustrated that we didn't really get to see all of what Brett Phillips could be. But Rosenthal, I mean, he's at the end of his career. So we really got like the good innings we got out of him were sort of like, I mean, he, he pitched the best I've seen him pitch and also pitched not so great sometimes, too. But what's the point? Like, what is the point with these trades where we keep going for prospects? And I'm saying not just prospects. These are less than prospects. These are straight-up lottery tickets. A prospect would be like if we went in and we made a package deal for someone's Bobby Witt Jr. equivalent, where we made, you know, someone for a package deal for their version of Lynch or Coar. No, these are a bunch of guys that are unproven at the major league level that we keep trading for guys that are proven major leaguers. And this goes back even to a couple years ago when we got rid of Mike Moustakis. When we, the only person of that core we actually dealt for parts was Mike Moustakis, and we got Jorge Lopez and Brett Phillips, two unproven quote, prospects, who are both gone now and proved that they weren't major league level. Or at Brett Phillips' case, maybe someone can salvage him for a fourth outfield Yeah, I'm going to jump in and agree with both of you guys. So, Reese, I'll start with you. You're right. Both Edward Olivares and Lucius Fox were, like, ranked 20th on their prospect list, respectively, right? They weren't top three. They weren't top ten. Um, but at the same time, that unfortunately is the market right now for the guys that we just traded. I mean, it, it's it's pretty similar to like uh, trading a a pro bowler in the NFL, but you're only getting like a fifth round pick or a sixth round pick. I think the market just wasn't in our favor. And I think Dayton Moore uh, just really wanted some athletic prospects. Like both of these guys, what I've heard from them, and and I know it's it's limited research on my point, but they're both super athletic and have some sort of potential. Which he he's going for this uh, athletic mo, this sporting KC fit mo, uh, which hopefully is going to translate. But I'm I'm excited and frustrated as well. I'm I'm kind of torn between the two because I think for what it was and what the trade market was, we did get two guys that could be good. But to your point, Reese, we should should get some people that are at least in the top 10 of their prospects for their respective team. Or if you're not going to get somebody who's in the top 10 prospects for their respective team, at least trade for someone who is a proven major league level player, man. Olivares, I I don't forget how many games he played in the MLB, but he did have one home run in the MLB. I don't know how many games he played. I did watch some of it, and he he does have great power, um, but he's he's pretty slow on the bat. Like he needs to figure out his mechanics, and I don't know at that stage how easy it is to fix mechanics. But like pure talent level, like Olivares can actually play, and if they figure that out then I think he could be pretty productive. It's just a matter of if he can figure, like, can you figure out your 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 mechanics or, like, switch your hit at this stage? I don't know. I think this ties into our next general question, which is 
where does the Royals organization go from here? And for me, that question means how do we win as a small market team? Uh, Because nowhere is it more difficult than in baseball from a pure financial perspective. There are obviously other other leagues like in the NBA because of the whole seven game series all the way through, you know, the good teams win. The bad guys win in the case of the Lakers. That's why I'm drinking Miller High Life right now. That's not always necessarily the way in baseball, as we saw from the Royals 2014 run, from the Rays uh, championship run in the day. So in terms of the actual gameplay, that's that's not strictly true. But from a financial perspective, with the salary cap issues and the and the big spenders, uh, a team like the Royals is, I mean, we're almost not even playing in the same league as the rest of the league. That's just the way it is. It's sort of like being a Formula One fan of any team other than Mercedes. It's just it's not you're not going to be there. But unlike F1, we have a chance to win another title. We've done it before and we can do it again. And for me, I, that, that looks like prioritizing, fostering this sort of burgeoning, serviceable rotation uh, with a good mix of young guys and veterans and keeping that as the constant bare minimum. We need a serviceable rotation. So we'll spend money as we have to. We'll foster prospects as we have to. But that's what we need because that's the most difficult part for small market team, in my opinion. And to your point, Armando, we'll try lots of different prospects. We'll try hopefully some savvy signings from the front office. We've we've struck out on a few recently, but hopefully these deals will pan out. But if they don't, we just try milking the farm system, figure out a combination that works and build from there. Well, I don't think it's fair to say that we're playing, you know, some sort of impossible Sisyphus pushing the stone up the hill sort of game right now because we've seen other small market teams have more success in at least pretending to be competitive over the last 25-30 years. The Tampa Bay Rays have only been a team for less than 30 years and they've made the playoffs more times than we have. They've had successful runs to the World Series. Even last year with that itty-bitty payroll they had, they still fielded a competitive team. Look out in Oakland. Billy Bean's been putting playoff teams together for the better part of 20 years now. You know, this isn't a great example, but the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, that's a, that's a small market team with a national brand, so they have that going for them. But why are we the only team that can't seem to be anything less than just terrible? You know, it's like there, there's, there's rarely ever flashes where we're fighting for 500, you know, let alone the playoffs. Why are we always so yeah, terrible? Yeah, I'm jump in, Reese. And this is where I think Matheny comes in and where we see where Matheny ranks with Yost. Because like I've mentioned in the past, Yost's MO was to hold off on prospects, not to give them chances to kind of get some scrappy veterans and come up with this core team that can maybe make it to the playoffs. But with the A's, with the Rays... All these teams are very bold with their prospects. I mean, we know at least with with Oakland, I mean, Oakland has been very bold with their prospects, more so going into analytics and statistics and really giving these people a chance to shine where we haven't seen that in the Royals organization. And I feel like now there's a little bit of hope because of the amount of prospects that we have and ones that are panning out to be successful now. Singer. Boo bitch, right? We have all these people that are actually being useful and being successful against very good teams. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if 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 Matheny changes the mantra here in Kansas City and tries to get these people out there and kind of make them grow. Yeah, Reese, I think you were being a little unfair earlier because uh, 
I think honestly, given what we've had over the past, you know, since really since 2013, I think in general, we've done a pretty decent job of being competitive when we should be competitive. Uh, if you want to talk about the whole history of the Royals and how we were uh, abysmal for better part of 30 years, that's a fair conversation. Uh, but I, I'm going to stick by that it's hard to win as a small market team. You can't spend the money in the free market like the big guns. And so you bring up a great point with the St. Louis Cardinals who have been competitive almost always for the past 10, 15 years, although that doesn't always translate to titles. Same thing you mentioned the Rays where they've had a few hot runs, but to my memory, it's only resulted in one World Series. And similarly, we we went to one and then won one, you know, recently. So I, I feel like we might be more or less saying the same thing where it's, you know, we're not going to be the Dodgers or the Astros. Boo. Where we, uh, Astros kind of suck right now, right? Yeah, they do. Well, that's because they can't cheat. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I don't know. Although I do hear you that, you know, it feels like. Well, we, we need to make a commitment to what the team, what the bare minimum for the team is going to be. And I guess that is a good tie into our last question is what is success for the organization? Meaning what's the bare minimum for the organization to keep Dayton Moore and Mike Matheny? And what does success look like for us as Royals fans? So I'm going to jump right out on this one. And I think success for us would just be I don't know, making a team that can even play 500 ball more than once a decade. I'm not, again, I'm not saying we have to make the playoffs every year the way the Cardinals do, but it would be nice if once every three to four years it's like, wow, guys, we're only, you know, three games back of that second wild card in August right now. It probably won't happen, but isn't it fun to hope? Instead of, I'm dead serious, even in a normal 160 game season, I'm just like, it's over. You know, we're already, wow, it's the, it's the end of May and we're 10 games back of first place. We're done. Yeah, I don't want to sound cliche, but if I'm not a Royals fan, how many Royals players do I know, right? If if I'm just like a baseball fan, how many yeah. Royals players? And, and and that's kind of the big thing, right? We have some great talent, but um, Franco is, is no... Uh, Aaron Judge, right? And, and not that we need, you know, five Aaron Judges or, you know, whoever, some power hitters, but but we definitely need some people to become big names. We, we, we can't always have these, well, he's a really good prospect and could definitely be an all-star. And then five years later go, well, he's a really good prospect and he's almost an all-star, right? And we're talking about the exact same person. We definitely need these people to become something, right? We need them to become household names. And that we still don't have even though it is a a pretty good core of people uh secondly and i'll keep dying on this horse we need to start putting these prospects out there and there's no better time than now give me bobby witt jr give me asa lacy give me daniel lynch give me khalil lee and by the way all these prospects are way above the guys that we just acquired, Edward Olivares and, and Lucius Fox. In According to MLB.com in their prospect list, in within our organization, Edward Olivares is 22, Lucius Fox is 26. There's still 20 people above them that should be able to play before these people that we just got. So there's a lot of players that I think should also, be Also, there. there's no minor league baseball right now, so they have no reason not to play. Well, we don't mean to end this cast on a on a total bummer because 
I want to loop it back and say that I have really enjoyed many of the games that I've been able to watch or listen to on the radio. And it's been really cool to think about the future of the organization with some of our young pieces who could really turn out to be awesome in sort of Royals history. Even some of the guys who are great producers for us, like Merrifield and Soler, who are maybe a little older, or Perez, who's been a great feature for us over the years, who's a little older. It's cool to see them have some times where where they'll play well. And, you know, it's it's still fun to be a Royals fan. But um, I will say, you know, we need to have all parts of the organization on the same page going forward to keep us relevant and to keep us decent. Yeah. And, you know, just so I'm not going to be 100% Debbie Downer, I love my Kansas City Royals. Uh, Here's the thing I'm going to say about this season so far that has been nice. If I'm going to play Silver Lining, it's been nice to watch games and believe that we're never fully out of it. You know, we can be down, uh, let's say it's, I don't know, six to two in the seventh inning, whereas in the last two, three years, I'd be like, oh, this is beyond over. You know, we're going to lose this one 14 to three. Whereas we've seen some, you know, some streaks late in games that it's like, wow, oh, 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 we came up just short. But it's it's fun to watch a Royals game again. So I have to give them that. And the question now is just, you know, if some of these games that are close but no cigar, we can string these the other way and start being like, wow, it was great to see him pull that one out. I'm going to go hat. off script here and ask you guys a question. How many years of this exact style of play and this exact like record are you going to put up with for Dayton Moore? I'll jump right in. I'll say by I would like to see improvement in the 2021 season, as in this is a team chasing 500 until the very end, or I would say a hard cap of the 2022 season, because at that point, you know, the prospects will be up. We'll see how some of these guys pan out. And if, if by that time, you know, with, with this new core of prospects coming up, having this pretty solid bullpen amplified by these great young pitching arms, if we can't put a competitive-ish team together with that and we're still closer to chasing 100 losses in a season, I think then it's really time to reevaluate the front office. I would say 500 ball by 2022 at the very least. Anyway, I'm, I'm a little more bullish like I think that that Jorge Soler should be an all-star. I think Whit Merrifield should be close to an all-star. I definitely think Mondesi should be an all-star. He has the talent for it, but something's wrong there. And then we'll see what happens with Dozier and McBroom and O'Hearn. I don't think they'll be all-stars, but they should be contributing like five, six, seven in the lineup. But those three guys should be able to be all-stars. And if if we can't get them there, either get them out and get some good people in there, or um. Or, yeah, I think Dayton has to go in in a year. All right, everybody. Well, uh, thank you for coming along for this uh, Royals debrief. I'm sure we'll do one more towards the end of the season. But I really am excited to see how some of our moves uh, pre-deadline pan out post-deadline. And maybe if we can get to see some more of these prospects in action down the stretch, that would be awesome. Uh, In the meantime, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform you uh, consume your podcasts on. Uh, Please consider supporting us on Patreon. As always, thank you to Kansas City Bands, Carswell and Hope, and Like a Tiger for musical material. And uh, yeah, it's our 11th episode. 11's lucky, no? And don't forget to um, give us some love on Instagram. Go ahead and shoot us a DM. Let us know how things are going. Our one viewer in Canada and our one viewer in the uh, Netherlands. Just say hello. Just say hello. Slide in those DMs.